Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. I love broadcasting at this time of year when everyone's mind is turned to the birth of a baby, the birth of Jesus Christ who came to save the world. And of course, people even return to church who aren't there most days at this time of year because we have in our hearts this sense that it's an important and unique and holy and special and joyful season. And I'm really happy to be able to speak with you today about someone who is very, very dedicated to combining his pro-life work with the work of the church and eager to welcome to Cradle My Heart Radio our guest today, Josh Brom, who's president of the Equal Rights Institute, which is an organization that trains pro-life advocates to think clearly, reason honestly, and argue persuasively. Josh, welcome to Cradle My Heart Radio. Thanks. It's so great to be on with you. Uh-huh. Uh, you are also formerly host of your own podcast turned radio and TV show, The Life Report. Now you host Equipped for Life podcast, and you've also written dozens of articles for Life News and the ERI blog. And you probably could write dozens and dozens more just of your experiences out there doing pro-life apologetics and engaging people to understand what's really at stake. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of this constant thing of trying to find the time for that. I've got, like, books that I want to write, and there's always these articles I want to write, and then we just are kind of always trying to figure out how to prioritize. And right now we're focusing on making uh, a high school curriculum for religious high schools. Uh, but, yeah, I appreciate that. There's just so many things that, that I want to share with people. Mm. And today I want to give you the chance to talk about a blog post that you have on the ERI website uh, titled, One Thing Every Pastor Can Do to Prevent Abortions in Their con- Congregation. I've been speaking, writing, podcasting, broadcasting about pro-life issues since 2001 when the Lord graciously redeemed an abortion in my past and called me to speak truth to people, right? And so, um, as you note in this article, one of the things that you have to do when you start speaking truth is engage pastors. And that's what this iteration of this broadcast is. We're, We're really aiming for pastors, faith leaders, with this broadcast to encourage and equip them on how to prevent abortion, not only in the church, but of course in the world, but also then repenting abortion. And your your journey of engaging with pastors is an interesting one, as you note in this article, um, because it, it started, as did mine, with a little bit of anger, if that's fair to say. Yep. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I was, and I think this is pretty typical mm-hmm. for people who are passionate about abortion, is we see 
generally speaking, obviously there's a lot of exceptions to this, but generally speaking, you see a lot of pastors who just don't talk about this. And I think I had a common but false concept, or maybe overly simplistic view, that there were only like a couple of reasons that could be for that. You could either have pastors who are ignorant, or pastors who are fearful, like of people leaving the congregation, um, or even worse, maybe apathetic. And and I do think those three categories are true, but I think I was missing an important fourth category that is also a more kind of understandable reason for pastors to not talk about it, which is this. Every pastor knows two things. He knows that there are post-abortive people in his congregation, and he also knows that he does not know who all of them are. So it's like there's these kind of hurting ghosts in the congregation that he would love to be helping, but he can't because he doesn't know who they are. And so then when he thinks about maybe wanting to talk about abortion, maybe he's super pro-life, he's, he might be worried that by doing so, he would be causing all of this kind of grief and, and anguish for these post-abortive people that then he can't be sort of separating through. And so once I kind of figured out, oh, there's a bunch of pastors and priests in this category that made me a lot more empathetic with them because I was like, yeah, I would, I could imagine myself feeling the same way if I were a pastor. Mm. And I think, you know, the one, the person we share in common on e- your change of heart, if you will, I don't know if it went that deep, but I, I certainly had a change of heart, is uh, Scott Klusendorf, who I studied with to learn how to make the case for life according to his amazingly effective and elegant methodology. <laughs> but uh, I think Scott also has some words that really encouraged you that you used to encourage others, and and pastors in particular, as to, you know, okay, we could spend a lot of time talking about why things are the way they are, but what what should we be doing instead? Yeah, yeah. So Scott was a, a huge kind of mentor for me early in my career. He kind of brought apologetics to the pro-life movement uh, for the first time. And, and yeah, he had a, an attitude of, of coming alongside pastors. Instead of us just complaining, how do we come alongside them and equip them, give them the things that maybe that they're lacking, that they might be very happy to have us give to them? Um, but if we come in with that attitude of, you know, wagging our fingers at them, then obviously they're not going to be as receptive to us anyway. And so it just kind of helped me to—I just needed some time to kind of temper the, the frustration and, uh, and again, just try to put myself in their, in their shoes and kind of like the most charitable version. Again, there are people— there are pastors who are apathetic about this issue, or or they just don't know enough, or they are just afraid of, of people leaving. So that happens, but I'd rather focus on talking about the pastors who are in this more kind of understandable category, uh, because I think there are just so many, you know, they love God, they love the people in their church, and they're trying to do their best, and they're so busy. They have people in the congregation constantly asking them to talk about their favorite issue. And so then it just kind of becomes part of the the noise. And I want us to try to figure out how do we communicate with pastors in a way that is not obnoxious and not kind of the, the typical thing that they might be used to from members of the congregation who want them to do something. Sure. And, you know, the research that you cite in your article, we're talking with Josh Brom today from the Equal Rights Institute. And uh, there's a, a 
An article posted on their website, One Thing Every Pastor Can Do to Prevent Abortions in Their Congregation. And we're going to get to that, but I'm I'm going to tease it out as long as I can, Josh. Because <laughs> everybody wants to know, what can I, well, there's one thing, I want to know, what is that thing? But in, in setting the stage for us knowing this one thing, you talk about, um, and I love the, the fact that you include stories. You know, there are stories in this article of mm. the real-life impact of abortion and uh, unintended or unexpected pregnancy, a problem, let's say problem pregnancy, in the lives of the women who experience that, and men, for that matter, too. But, <clears throat> excuse me, you you mentioned this CareNet survey, and before we get into the prevention uh, piece of this puzzle, I want you to talk about, you know, CareNet finding that, first of all, only 43% of the women they asked said that it was safe to talk with pastor about abortion. The most typical reactions they were expecting were for the church and hence the pastor, too, to be judgmental or condemning. And this one really struck me because I'm somewhat familiar with this research anyway, but I, I had never really seen this little nugget that only 42% of Christians in church agree that pastors teach that God is willing to forgive past abortion decisions. And then, so as a result, only 38% agree church is a safe place. Talk about pregnancy options. Um, And I know today we're going to, we're addressing prevention, but this idea that, you know, only 40% hear their pastor saying God's willing to forgive abortion. Again, is this um, a misguided protectiveness on the part of pastors that they, you know, or do, is are they trying to avoid the concu- the confusion you know, that God will forgive what He has forbidden? Address that piece too, because you know so much of my work in the early days of fulfilling my calling was with the post-abortive, and really, the post-abortive are the people who taught me to become pro-life. Uh, in the beginning, I, I it was not my focus. It was. Oh wow! I was, you know, my faith was really stunted by this. I could not get past that attrition, which is what the fear of punishment versus, um, you know, the true right. the true contrition, which is, Lord, you know, as you will, I am guilty, right? And so, and so, as I heard stories from women, and entered into their grief with them. You know, it just became so unavoidable that these children are crying out to us. You know, and yeah. and that 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 gives us the obligation to protect to protect the f- the future children. And so, I I mean, if if pastors aren't preaching a prevention, they certainly aren't preaching repenting. I, I don't know. Let me just yeah. hear, hear your thoughts about that. I, we're diverging from your main point, but I'd love I'd love to hear sure. your thoughts about it. Yeah, and and. I, I mean, I would also love to hear, like, I'd love to survey, like, a thousand pastors. Why do you think this is going on, and what is behind it? I'm sure there are elements to it that I'm not thinking of. But mm-hmm. off the top of my head, um, a few things that I'm thinking are that, one, you've got pastors a lot of times, like, if they talk, if they're good about talking about, you know, the uh, dif- different sin areas, for example— then people are hearing, you know, the the need for salvation, then the need for forgiveness, and, and all of that, uh, and all of that. But if the pastor is not specifically talking about abortion, then I think what happens is people sometimes end up feeling like, well, maybe he can forgive, 
you know, the the normal sins that Christians do. You know, we we might gossip a lot, we might eat too much, but like those are those feel like little things to us, but not like abortion. In fact, there was actually a story that my friend David Bright told me about a woman who's a post abortive woman who spoke at a at a pastor's like a pro life pastor's event with like say maybe fifty pastors. And she basically said, I've been sitting in the same pew in the same church for like twenty or thirty years. And she said, my pastor will talk about issues. It's not just that thing where it's like, well, we're only going to literally go straight through the Bible. We're not going to talk about current issues. We're not going to seem political. It's like, my pastor talks about everything. He'll talk about, uh, you know, human trafficking and all kinds of horrible things. But she said he never, ever said the A word, abortion. And it, gave, and it had this unintended effect on her that the pastor would have been horrified to know it happened, but... It wasn't that it made her feel better because he wasn't talking about this kind of very sensitive thing. It made her feel like, well, maybe abortion is the only unforgivable sin. And I think that's the disconnect where a lot of pastors, they think that they are helping the post-abortive people who they know are in the congregations by not talking about it. And I think, contrary to what would be maybe the most natural to think, I think this is where people are most helped when a pastor does talk about it, but talks about it with a heavy emphasis on grace, on the fact that Jesus has forgiven all of our sins, that it's not just, you know, some sins are forgiven, but like all of the worst things that we have done, the things that make us feel the most shameful, are covered by the cross. And if that's covered, and, and we kind of talk about the resources that are out there for or post-abortive people to find healing, then suddenly I think a lot of those things go away, and then they're not going to be hearing mainly anger or judgment or, or something like that from the pastor. So I wonder if that's a big element in it. Yeah, well, and I like that too, Josh, because even as I'm listening to you, it's like, how simple would it be for pastor to talk about God's grace? This, the theme, the message of the sermon is mm-hmm. the grace— and even put it in the list, you know, it's right yeah. up, right up. You don't have to lead with it even though alphabetically. It's right there. <laughs> but, yeah. but, I, I, but, I, but put it in the list with adultery, with all the things yep. that cause shame, along with, you know, the the guilt and grief of a particular yeah, one of the sin. most pro-life. <clears throat> sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But what I was going to say, well, one of the most pro-life pastors I ever sat under for a while, like he came across very pro-life because he mentioned abortion like, all the time, but it doesn't mean he was doing whole sermons on it. Right. Typically, it was just exactly like what you just described, Kim, where it would just be referenced along with a list of, of other things, but you knew he wasn't going to hide from this topic, that he wasn't overly concerned about coming across as political or something. He was just like, we're going to be honest about all of the different issues that that people are, you know, dealing with, and and be open to talking about it. And then, you know, obviously in January, you would typically do maybe a whole sermon about about the abortion topic. Right. I think that's a great way to go. Right. Okay, so back to our, you know, <laughs> our article, One Thing Every Pastor Can Do to Prevent Abortions in Their Congregation. You have this wonderful story of Monique, who illustrates what happens when a Christian gets pregnant and continues in church. You know, she happened to be a minor, and so she's there with her parents, um, but church could have absolutely lost her over this pregnancy. Share that story with us, because I think it's so impactful. 
Yeah, so I met Monique at a church that I was helping lead worship at, and, and Monique is just one of the best singers I've maybe ever worked with. This is amazing, like, black gospel singer, and it was always just so wonderful to, to lead worship with her. And then after she found out that I was, I was working on this, she, she shared the story with me. So she was, uh, I think she was 17, and she had gotten pregnant. It wasn't, it sounds like, and I don't know all the details, but it sounds like it wasn't a fully consensual thing, but also not fully non-consensual, somewhere kind of in the middle, in, in the messy kind of middle area of that. But she ends up pregnant, and her church response to that was basically to almost hide her. It was like, you are only allowed to sit in the back pew. You are not allowed to talk with your friends. You are not allowed to, you know, be in the youth group where, you know, who knows, heaven forbid, students might find out that there's a student who's pregnant here. And, like, we're just not going to talk about it. It's going to be, like, hidden in the back, and then as soon as service is over, you've got to leave. So she was doing that. She was still going. and But she told me this 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 story that I'll never forget where, you know, it's the worship time. Of course, she's singing. She's this natural, you know, God-given talent singer. She's singing loudly the way that she did. And a woman in front of her turned around and looked at her and said, don't you wish that you could be singing to the glory of God? And she said, this was the moment that just kind of completely shut her down. Um, She felt so just she didn't want to come back to church, and, and she was really glad that ultimately God put some other Christians in her life from a different, more compassionate church. As she said, that's probably the reason that she's still a Christian. But this is the kind of story that we hear all the time. I've heard, I've interviewed multiple women who've got stories from decades ago where they were literally taken to the front of the church mm-hmm. on Sunday morning to apologize for having premarital sex in front of the whole congregation. Meanwhile, in every story so far I've, I've, where I've personally talked to, to women who have this experience, they said that the boyfriend was there, but no one was saying anything to the boyfriend. Oh, boy. so There's kind of sometimes like patriarchal kind of aspect to this sometimes. And it was it's terrible. So I don't think that happens very much anymore. But I think a lot of times it's more this kind of subtle issue of, you know, it's just we're not going to talk about it, or it seems like the biggest sin issue that, you know, can be dealt with, and so we're not going to talk about it. And then as a result, people don't know how their church is going to respond if someone gets pregnant. They assume the worst. They assume it's going to be something along those lines, and then out of fear, they abort. Yeah, and you can see, I mean, I've also heard many stories of pastors saying, well, you should, you know, you've got, I mean, pastors are human too, right? Because maybe they're protective, they feel they need to protect her reputation, protect her future education, all of the reasons that people give, right? But I've heard many stories, protect the family's reputation, you know, um, of pastors advising abortion. And this, this, of course, would tend to silence the pastor in terms of speaking about it. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe he did yeah. that and God later convicted him. Now he hasn't dealt with that. So, yeah. So, all right. And, and I like the way you put this, um, Josh, that, you know, I think as you said at the end there, the church might not have that attitude at all. The church might say, come, we'll help you. This is what we're here for. You know, we're your family. We'll 
what do you need to carry this pregnancy forward? What do you need right now in your life? But if if the message isn't given, she doesn't know that. And out of fear, she may just make the, you know, the other choice, which is, of course, a tragic. So, um, and the other thing is, I think it's important to remember as we get to our solution with this one thing churches can do yeah. to prevent abortion is that being pregnant is not a sin. Yes. Yes. I feel really strongly about that. I think that's part of the issue is I think a lot of times, you know, we've come from this place where pastors, again, doing their best to push forward, you know, like a biblical sexual ethic, we kind of end up in this place where we're kind of, it seems like we're implying that being pregnant out of wedlock is a sin. And I'm saying, no, maybe how you got pregnant might have been sinful, but it is not a sin. It is not a scarlet letter P for the word pregnant to have a baby inside of your body. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And if we can separate those out, then what, then what that means we can do is we can privately deal with the, the sin issue, which I think is biblical, and that'll kind of go different ways depending on, on the, the denomination of the church. But in public, we are going to celebrate life. And we are going to basically treat this the way that we would any other pregnancy so that then maybe women won't feel like they need to to have an abortion to to hide this thing that is going to, you know, seem like the you know, it's going to be mocked or gossiped about or or judged and all these different things. And, And that's what I want to see us to try to reduce. And then hopefully maybe you see fewer Christian abortions. Mm. And, you know, this this mocked, uh, made fun of, gossiped about, these are all actions that reject her and reject this child. And so we want to always do the opposite. And, and you know, we will. Ne- one of the things that you state in the article is we will not encourage anybody to have an abortion because we believe that every unborn child is a bearer of God's image. And the clarity of that is so bracing to me, Josh. Um, In a pregnancy help center, I heard a story a woman shared with me, and she um, felt that she had to abort because her partner was violent. And he had come to, I don't know, some kind of a family gathering and shot people. Nobody Nobody was deceased, but she was like, I cannot risk you know, having a permanent tie with this person. He's dangerous, it wouldn't be safe, et cetera, et cetera. It was like one of the few times when I was almost persuaded that, yes, that was abortion. You know what I mean? Because it was yeah, so, it yeah. was such a desperate situation for her. Nonetheless, by the way, she uh, absolutely regretted it, absolutely knew that the reason she needed to regret it was because this child was innocent. You know, and God and she has to trust God for her protection, protection of her children. And so given all of these things that we've talked about, what can pastors do then to create this culture of life in their church and prevent abortions as a result of it? Yeah, what I would like to see is for at least once or twice a year, every pastor of every church and minimally make a few-minute announcement that, that basically says, regardless of how other churches handle this situation where there's a pregnancy out of wedlock within the church, here is how we will handle the situation. Here's who we are going to be. 
we are going to love this woman. We are going to love this baby. We are going to treat this this pregnancy like any other pregnancy. We will throw a baby shower for her in her small group if, 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 if she wants it. We will deal with sinuses in private, and we will celebrate life in public. And then hopefully, as a result, then it becomes a part of the culture of the church. And by the way, the youth pastors should be doing this more often. Like, this would be maybe quarterly in, 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 in the youth group, and let's not all be afraid of, oh my gosh, students might find out that someone got pregnant. Like, no, this is a perfect example to talk about grace and forgiveness and, 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 and how all of those things kind of work together. Right, and to not get into the superstition which thinks, oh, it's going to be contagious, and now all the, all the youth right. are going to show up here pregnant. I mean, right. that's kind of the mindset, I think, sometimes. It, there was actually a, a really interesting thing that's happened since I wrote that article. I've gotten this uh, a couple of concerns from pastors. And one of the concerns has been, if we do this thing that you're suggesting, if we celebrate life in this, even for teenage pregnancies, then they were concerned, maybe that means that the other you know, teenage girls in the congregation would see how well this girl is being treated, and they might want to get pregnant and have the same thing. And I'm like, first of all, you've never been pregnant, if that's your concern, because that's not happening. And and secondly, I, I just don't think, I, I don't think it's realistic. And and given that, I, I think we should be just erring on the on 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 the side of, of grace. How much grace can we give people? How much can we can we treat these people the way that we think that Jesus would? Mm. Josh Brom is our guest, and he is the president of the Equal Rights Institute, engaging in pro-life apologetics and training pro-life advocates to think clearly and reason honestly and argue persuasively. And Josh, I love this um, this idea that pastors can preemptively let people know that should something like this occur, you will be welcomed here. We are going to break up this conversation into two parts. And when we return for part two, I'm going to have you share some practical tips for having the conversation with your pastor. If you're listening today and you're thinking, I just don't know if he'd be open to that in our church. So Josh, thanks for being with us. And we'll be back with part two in just a bit. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms. <laughs> 